Hello there. Welcome back to the Dose of Joy podcast, and thanks for being here. I'm your host, Joy Huber. Let's dive right in. Did you know that in addition to being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, October is also Liver Cancer Awareness Month? According to a webpage from the American Association of Cancer Research that I'll share on the Dose of Joy podcast Facebook page, too, this week, October is Liver Cancer Awareness Month. The liver is one of the largest organs in the body. It filters harmful substances from the blood, produces bile that helps in the digestion of fats, and stores sugar that the body uses for energy. The Cancer.net introductory page on liver cancer says, The liver is the largest internal organ in the body. It plays a key role in the digestion of food. No one can live without a liver. This section only provides information about cancer that begins in the liver. This is known as primary liver cancer. It is more common for cancer that started in another part of the body to spread to the liver. This is called metastatic cancer. Cancer that has spread to the liver from another part of the body is not liver cancer, but rather is based on where the cancer started. For instance, pancreatic, colon, stomach, breast, lung, or another type of cancer that has spread to the liver is still named according to the organ in which it started. This is important to note as liver cancer is treated differently than cancer that originates in a different organ and then spreads to the liver. I want to pause for a moment as that difference is really interesting to me. This information focuses on cancer that begins in the liver versus cancer that started elsewhere in the body and spread to the liver. Here's some statistics on liver cancer. This year, an estimated 42,230 adults 29,890 men and 12,340 women in the United States will be diagnosed with primary liver cancer. Since 1980, the incidence of liver cancer has more than tripled. When compared with the United States, liver cancer is much more common in sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia. In some countries, it is the most common cancer type. I share this for any listeners outside of the United States. Hepatocellular carcinoma, otherwise referred to after this as HCC, hepatocellular carcinoma, or HCC, can have different growth patterns. Some spread tentacle-like growths through the liver. This pattern is the most common one in the United States. Some start as a single tumor that spreads to other parts of the liver as the disease develops. Others develop as nodules at several different places in the liver, and occasionally a pattern isn't clear. But approximately 75% of primary liver cancers in adults are hepatocellular carcinomas. 
As you likely know, screening is used to look for cancer before you have any symptoms or signs. Scientists have developed and continue to develop tests that can be used to screen a person for specific types of cancer. The overall goals of cancer screening are to lower the number of people who die from the disease or eliminate deaths from cancer altogether and lower the number of people who develop the disease. So here's some screening information for liver cancer from cancer.net. If you know you have cirrhosis or other risk factors, it is extremely important to talk with your doctor about whether you should be regularly screened for liver cancer. Finding a cancer before any symptoms have developed will increase the chance of successful treatment. Hepatologists are the doctors with the most experience in screening for primary liver cancer. Screening options for liver cancer include testing the blood for a substance called alpha-fetoprotein, AFP, which may be produced by cancer cells, or having imaging tests like an ultrasound, computed tomography, CT, or CAT scan, or magnetic resonance imaging, MRI. Talk with a hepatologist about which screening tests they recommend and how often to have them based on your medical history. Different guidelines apply to different causes of liver disease. When symptoms or signs of liver cancer do occur, they may include these described next. Or the cause of a symptom or sign may be a medical condition that is not cancer. Pain, especially at the top right of the abdominal area, near the right shoulder blade or in the back. Unexplained weight loss. A hard lump under the ribs on the right side of the body, which could be the tumor or a sign that the liver has gotten bigger. Weakness or fatigue. Yellowing of the skin or eyes called jaundice. And here's where I remind you, I'm not a medical doctor, so please be sure you consult with your personal physician. Next, we'll talk about the BCLC staging system. For HCC, doctors often use the Barcelona Clinic Liver Cancer, BCLC, system to describe the cancer and recommend treatment options, according to a Cancer.net page I'll share on the Facebook page about liver cancer stages. The BCLC system categorizes HCC based on characteristics of the tumor, liver function, performance status, and cancer-related symptoms. BCLC stage groupings include very early stage, here the tumor is smaller than 2 centimeters or CM, surgery is usually recommended. The early stage, here the tumor is smaller than 5 centimeters, liver function varies. The intermediate stage, the tumor may be large or there may be multiple tumors. And the advanced stage, the tumor has invaded the portal vein or spread to other parts of the body, such as the lymph nodes, lungs, and bones. Doctors usually recommend targeted therapy.
So next, we'll cover how liver cancer is treated. In cancer care, different types of doctors often work together to create a patient's overall treatment plan that combines different types of treatments. This is called a multidisciplinary team. Cancer care teams include a variety of other healthcare professionals, such as physician assistants, nurse practitioners, oncology nurses, social workers, pharmacists, counselors, dietitians, and others. Treatment options and recommendations depend on several factors how much of the liver is affected by the cancer, whether the cancer has spread, the patient's preferences and overall health, the damage to the remaining cancer-free area of the liver. Here's some of the questions Cancer.net suggests asking after getting a diagnosis. What type and subtype of liver cancer do I have? How large is the tumor? What is the stage of my cancer? What does this mean? Can the tumor be removed surgically? What does this mean? Can you explain my pathology report, laboratory test results to me? I'll post the link to the full page of questions on the Facebook page for you to review and share with anyone you know this applies to to help them out. I'll also share the link to four liver cancer treatment advances from the Johns Hopkins website. I point to them because they are listed in the top 10 of U.S. News' ranking of adult cancer hospitals. As their article states, in recent years, there have been several advances in treating liver cancer. While removing liver cancer through surgery can be an effective form of liver cancer treatment, for some patients, it's not suitable for all patients. As researchers continue to uncover new and innovative treatments, doctors have more options to consider for their patients. There are chemotherapy advances. In the past decade, chemotherapy has seen revolutionary research advances. With newer medications, patients are living longer after receiving just chemotherapy. Chemotherapy is either given alone or combined with other therapies. In many cases, chemotherapy treatment can shrink the size of tumors so that they can be more readily removed surgically. There are also intra-arterial therapies for liver cancer. Often, liver tumors get their blood supply from the artery that supplies the liver. These tumors act as parasites to your body's blood supply. In intra-arterial therapies, chemoembolization beads deliver cancer-killing medication to the tumor through the artery. These beads also block blood flow to the tumor, which helps prevent it from growing. Chemoembolization is effective either alone or in combination with chemotherapy in treating and or reducing the size of tumors. In some cases, patients that initially don't qualify for transplantation can become eligible following treatment from chemoembolization and chemotherapy due to the shrinkage of the tumor.
Now, I get excited by these advances and want to share details with you. There's just a few more, and then we'll move on to another topic, since I promised you some additional tips in this episode on things you should do after a cancer diagnosis. Liver tumor ablation techniques. Ablation therapies kill a liver tumor instead of removing it. In these techniques, doctors use a probe to kill tumors with hot energy. This minimally invasive approach is most effective for smaller tumors less than 3 centimeters. Liver transplant advances. Liver transplantation has proven to be the most effective treatment for patients with hepatocellular carcinoma, a common type of liver cancer. If a patient has liver disease, such as cirrhosis, liver transplantation can also further reduce further the risk of recurrence following treatment. However, not all patients will be candidates for a transplant. Before recommending a liver transplant, doctors consider the number of tumors, tumor size, and a patient's health. Johns Hopkins also offers many advanced clinical trials, which is encouraging news to hear. Up next, I promise some additional suggestions, including another do and another don't, at diagnosis with any cancer. These come from my Huffington Post blog, Five Tricks for Facing Cancer with Joy. We covered three of the tricks last week, so be sure to check out that episode if you haven't listened in yet. Today, the don't I want to cover is don't try to handle everything alone. I'm going to read to you what I said about this in my Cancer with Joy book, starting at the bottom of page 69. Don't try to handle everything alone. While this is somewhat obvious, I have talked with too many cancer patients who have said they do not want to be a burden to anyone. As an independent woman, I definitely understand the desire to do it all yourself, but this is a time when others certainly want to help you and feel as if they have been able to do something for you. Let them. I would also recommend here that you keep a paper or computer list of tasks and things you need so that you don't forget things. I receive so many cards in the mail, voicemails and calls and people I spoke with that said, what do you need? If you think of anything you need, just let me know. Don't hesitate to call. Let us know what we can do for you. Don't be afraid to tell them when they ask. People who care for you want to feel useful. Now, have you heard of lots of helping hands? That's L-O-T-S-A helpinghands.com. I'll share the link on the Facebook page so you can create a community for things like having meals delivered or getting rides to appointments. In addition to the care calendar, there's also a place for well wishes, announcements, and photos. And of course, a Lots of Helping Hands app, too. So that's a don't. Don't try to handle it all by yourself. How about another do? Do or trick number five in the Huffington Post article I authored is do talk to someone who has been there. 
I expand on this on page 70 of my Cancer with Joy book, and one resource I talk about there is one I'm currently volunteering with, actively speaking on the phone almost weekly with someone. Check out ImmermanAngels.com, and that's I-M-E-R-M-A-N-Angels.com. I'll share the link to this on the Dose of Joy podcast Facebook page, as it's not only for those facing cancer, but for caregivers, too. A real gem of a find. It has come to my attention through emails to the show, and that email is doseofjoypodcast at hotmail.com, that there are those who would like to speak with me about their story and situation. So I'm setting up a Patreon account for show supporters who want to give, including options to speak with me once a month or a few times each month. In addition to my personal cancer experience and my master's degree in health communication, I am also professionally trained in coaching individuals through a program I completed with Coach U. So watch for that option to be made available soon. Finally, as we round out another jam-packed show, I want to touch on some tips for talking with someone who has cancer. I know this show has listeners who are facing cancer themselves and also listeners who are caring for and supporting the person facing cancer. You can share this link I'll post on the Facebook page from cancer.net to help others with what to do and say. Here's a part of the article. Feelings of sadness, anger, confusion, and helplessness come with a cancer diagnosis. And boy, do I know that firsthand. For the person who has been diagnosed with cancer, it is helpful when friends and family members provide a comforting presence and practical support. It is often difficult for others to know what to say or start a conversation with someone who has cancer. However, staying in touch is always better than staying away. Here are some tips to help you show your support. Take your cues from the person with cancer. Ask the person with cancer if they would like to talk about the experience. It is best to allow him or her to decide when to talk and how much to share. Show support without words. Your body and facial expressions can also convey your message of care and support. Keep eye contact, listen attentively, and avoid distractions when talking. One important way to provide support is to share some silence without needing to drown it out with chatter. Choose your words carefully. Make sure to acknowledge how difficult this experience is for the person. Carefully choosing what you say can help you show your support without being dismissive or avoiding the topic. For example, it is better to say, I don't know what to say, than to stop calling or visiting out of fear. Here are some things you can say to help show your care and support. I'm sorry this has happened to you. If you ever feel like talking, I'm here to listen. What are you thinking of doing, and how can I help? I care about you. 
I'm thinking about you. And here are examples of phrases that are unhelpful. I know just how you feel. I know just what you should do. I know someone who had the exact same diagnosis. I'm sure you'll be fine. Don't worry. How long do you have? After hearing some of those unhelpful phrases following my own diagnosis, they make me cringe saying them. I know from my personal experience, when a friend is going through something really difficult, I've said, I know I talk a lot, but I can also be a great listener. I'll listen to whatever you want to share or talk about. Sometimes you don't even have to talk, but it's just helpful to be there with the person. And there can be quiet, and that's okay too, as the article also suggests. Especially if you are doing an activity like looking through photos, quiet can be good. I also know from personal experience what I'll read to you from the bottom of page 86 of my book. Many will tell you stories of someone they have known who battled cancer and lost. I wish I knew why people choose to tell you these things right at this moment, but they do. You will also hear stories of someone they know who battled cancer and is doing fine today. Remember, they are just taking the word cancer, and in their mind, they are associating it with whatever other knowledge or experience they have on the subject. Most do not know what to say, so the most inappropriate thing they may well regret saying later could come out. Try to be forgiving. It's my hope that these tips are really helpful for you. With them, I wrap up another episode of Dose of Joy. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is by leaving a five-star review wherever you're listening in. Wishing you a joyful life. I'm gonna laugh and I'm gonna cry The world is waiting See how far I can go